Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists speaking the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. Today is episode six of the Locust and Honey podcast. Join us as we discuss A Tale of Two Tables, part two. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do that by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and by subscribing so that you don't miss any future episodes. You can also follow us on Facebook at Locust and Honey. For all who have sinned without the law also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Well, hello and welcome. I'm Andrew. <laughs> I thought you were going to say hello. Well, hello. I'm I Andrew. I thought you were going to greet everybody. Well, along I was with letting me. you. Hey, everybody. <laughs> My name's Matt. And I'm Andrew. <laughs> and this is the Locust and Honey podcast. Yes, it is. Episode number six. We are excited to be back with you today. And we have an exciting topic, which is a continuation of last week. Yes. We're talking about a tale of two tables. Yes. But before we get into that, Andrew, what are you into? What am I into? Well, I'd say I'm still into Advent, but I think, yeah, <laughs> it hasn't <laughs> lost its uh, novelty. I'm just kidding. No, I say that I, I've been thinking about something that's been a little bit more, I guess, serious lately. <laughs> like I saw a comment section on Facebook one time. It's pretty recent. The guy was in the comment section of what I was reading and he like was saying a lot of stuff that I was agreeing with, but like it was not out of love. You could tell the attitude was very just pious. Was he a cage stager? Oh, I, I don't know. I knew him. Like I know I know him. I knew him in college, but I like didn't really He wasn't your roommate, was he? No. <laughs> I didn't really No. Shout out to Jacob. <laughs> yeah. No, it wasn't Jacob. I didn't really talk to him a ton, so I don't really know what his big theological convictions are. But he was saying a lot of stuff in this comment section that I did agree with. But I was like, man, what he's saying does, doesn't really hold a lot of weight for me right now because of the way that he's saying it. Like, he's not saying it in love. He's saying it out yeah. of piousness. And it just brought up, I think it's 1 Corinthians 13. Paul was saying, if I have all of these things, if I prophesy and I can understand all of these things, but I don't have love, then I'm a, I'm a just a clanging symbol, just making noise. And it's, it kind of made me think, man, you know, it's really something that is like a lot of the stuff that we talk about in this podcast and a lot of the stuff that we, that especially I've been learning about probably in the last year is very, you know, heavy. It's very rich and right. it's life-giving. But I think that no matter how correct it is and no matter how powerful and theologically sound it is if i'm out here and i'm spewing all this stuff out without love what am i doing you know what i mean yeah so that's been something that i've been thinking about probably for the last 12 hours or so since i saw that now yeah. on facebook but <laughs> yeah as you started that's where i went to was first corinthians 13 mm -hmm. where he says if i speak in the tongues of men 
and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Think about going to an orchestra of all cymbals, how <laughs> yeah. annoying that would be. Right. Even if they're hitting the right key. Cymbals. Do cymbals have a key? I don't think so. Yeah. But if they're hitting the right cymbal stuff, <laughs> <laughs> it would still be annoying. So, yeah, no, yeah. I, I completely agree. And I hope that everything that we cover here comes across out of love because, one, I don't think that I have all the answers. And I know you would say the same. Yeah. So we're not speaking out of a, a desire to be right, but out of a desire to be faithful to God's word because I think his word does have all the answers. And because of the love that he has for us, we also love everybody else. And that's why we want to share that's why we do the podcast is right. to share the love and truth of God's word that he's revealed to us with others. And hopefully it's helpful to people. Yeah. And we're not just here to say we're right and everybody else is stupid. Right. But we're here to say, because God loved us, we love you as well. And here's the truth he's revealed yeah. to us. And hopefully it's helpful for you. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I've been kind of dwelling on for the past little bit, but on a lighter note, the other thing I've been into is a Christmas service that I've been planning where Matt and I are singing a song. What song are we singing? All Glory Be to Christ. Oh, I thought we were doing I Saw Mama Kissing Santa Claus. Oh, well, we have a rehearsal in five hours. Okay. So we better nail it down. <laughs> <laughs> so on a similar note, the King James Version of 1 Corinthians 13.1 Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to hear a symbol the same. So what I think we should take away from this is if we're not loving our neighbor as ourselves, we're not but a tinkling cymbal. <laughs> yes. We don't want to be tinkling symbols. That's true. If we're a symbol, we don't want to tinkle. <laughs> Man, this has gone off the rails. Oh. Yep. So what are you into? <laughs> well, I am into, right now I'm into marriage. That's good. I hope yeah. you stay there. <laughs> so I'm married and you're married. Yeah. One of the things that I enjoy most about ministry. Well, there's a lot of it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I enjoy reading and studying the word. I enjoy rightly dividing the word and preaching the word. I enjoy shepherding, all that stuff. But one of the aspects of shepherding that I've found to really enjoy is marriage counseling and premarital counseling. And I've been studying a lot with that. And it's just been really cool and encouraging. And maybe one day we need to do an episode on biblical marriage, looking at the role of a husband, the role of a wife, what is biblical masculinity, what is biblical femininity, yeah. and uh, all of that. And it's just been really, really good getting into that. One for myself, but then two, there's a lot of people that are married that don't really understand what the roles of a husband are, what the roles of a wife are, how men and women in a marital relationship have been affected by the fall. And how we just speak different languages and yeah. see the world around us differently. But it's been really encouraging. And uh, I'm just, yeah, that's what I'm into right now is kind of studying and 
diving off into that. So, like I said, maybe that can be a an episode all unto itself one day. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. So, speaking of God's Word, yes, in the Old Testament, He gave His moral law on two tables. Did that you know He that? did two literal tables. Uh, literal table in the sense of tablets. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So not a table like we have today, but a table as in a tablet. Not like an iPad. Not, yeah, not a tablet that we have today no, either. Not yeah. a tablet. On two stones, he gave us his moral law. This is the least best transition <laughs> that we've done yet. I think so. I think we could sum it up by saying that's a transition that we did. That's a transition that we did. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so with that transition in mind, uh, let's talk about part two of A Tale of Two Tables. All right. So, part two of A Tale of Two Tables. And it, it was kind of something that we we could have easily gone into this right in right into this during the part one of A Tale of Two Tables, but we decided to make it two parts. Why would we do that? Because there's quite a bit to go into. That's true. <laughs> But also because we, in the first episode, wanted to really establish the preeminence of the first table and kind of, because that, that's a really important thing to realize as Would you say that it's preeminent? Yes. Oh, cool. For more on that, check out episode five of the Locust and Honey podcast. But today we're going to kind of dive in a little bit more. I don't know what, I guess you would say we're going to dissect the, the tables a little bit more. Well, let's discuss them. Yeah. Let's okay. go through each of the 10. <clears throat> Yeah, commandments and see what they are and how they apply to us today. And I think, too, one of the things that we probably ought to discuss as well is why God gave us the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Because I think that we can just flippantly throw these things around, like God's law, and I think a lot of people, in especially church culture today, they call them the uh, thou shalt nots or something yeah. like that. But there's an act, there's actually a lot of weight to these things. Yeah, so when we're talking about the Ten Commandments, we're talking about God's moral law. Yeah. And I think that's a great question, is first and foremost, why did God give us the Ten Commandments? So I'm going to go back to the 1689 Baptist Confession, and in chapter 19 where it's talking about of the law of God. In the sixth paragraph, it talks about God's moral law. And instead of just reading the whole thing, some reasons that God gives us his moral law or the Ten Commandments is it's a rule of life. It's informing us of God's will and our duties. It directs and binds us to walk accordingly. It helps us discover the sinful pollutions of our natural man it leads us to a further conviction of humiliation for and hatred against sin. It reveals with clearer sight our need for Christ and the perfection of his obedience. And so when God gives us his Ten Commandments or his moral law, it's condemning in the fact that we can't uphold these in and of ourselves. We need Christ. We need him to come. We need him to die. But while he's here, we need him to morally uphold all of God's law, which he did. And so it shows us, like this says, it gives us clearer insight of our need for Christ and the perfection of his obedience. Yeah. Because while we as Christians strive to uphold the Ten Commandments, we can't do it. We're going to fall. We're going to sin. We're going to mess up. We're not going to get them perfect. We're not going to even be in the same ballpark sometimes on some of them. Right. You know, but then it also, it works as, like Paul said, the law of God is like a schoolmaster. 
to us. It's perfecting us. It's shaping us. It's molding us. It's helping to know what's right and wrong. Uh, it's informing us of God's will and our duties. It's directing us. And like the, that said, it binds us to walk accordingly. It helps us discover the sinful pollutions of our natural man. It, it's working as a mirror for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that I've said to the youth for a long time is if I'm on the left alone shows, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to do what I have to do to survive, but I have no clue what I look like. I don't know, you know, if there's food in my teeth, if my hair's messed up. But as soon as I have a mirror, I can see the dirt that's on my face. I can see the food in my teeth. I can see all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And because I have the mirror, it reveals the imperfections, and then I can get that taken care of. I can brush my hair, brush my teeth, wash my face, do all that stuff, right? But the mirror is revealing that, that imperfection that's already there. The mirror's helping me see that. And Mm -hmm. that's what God's law does for us as believers and non-believers is it shows us God's standard and it shows us how we're lacking. So it does that. But then also like a schoolmaster, it's perfecting us and it's shaping and, and kind of giving us these guidelines of how to relate to God and our duties as a, a follower of Christ, what they are to him. Yeah. And I think that what can happen is we go from, at least in people my age, because this happened to me too, where it's like you grow up in kind of a church culture where, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but I know for a lot of people, especially my age, we grew up in like a, almost like a legalistic type church culture where there were things that were kind of additional to God's law that were being enforced or expected of the believer. Yeah. Then there came a wave where all of a sudden it was kind of like, well, no, the grace of God, it the Jesus is the only one who can uphold that standard, right? He's the only one who can perfectly follow the law. And so he did that on our behalf, so we didn't have to. Right. But then it kind of left us in an unhealthy area where it was like, okay, so that means, and, it, and we were talking about this the last episode, so that means that God's, that his moral law doesn't apply anymore. I think that what you're saying is good and also speaks into that as well within the church culture of this back and forth that seems to have happened, at least people my age, where it's like we started out in kind of this legalistic area, and then it swung all the way over to the other side of the spectrum where it's all about God's love and his grace. Mm-hmm. And so we don't need to worry about the law. Right. And I think that, that's not really healthy either, obviously. You right. know? Yeah, no, so. I think it's a both and. And if you go to paragraph right. 7 of the chapter of the law of God, it says, Neither are the aforementioned uses of the law contrary to the grace of the gospel, but do sweetly comply with it. The Spirit of Christ subduing and enabling the will of man to do that freely and cheerfully which is the will of God revealed in the law requireth to be done. In Christ. We are free to follow him, though. We're free mm-hmm. to follow Christ. We're not free to do whatever we want. We're, we're free to now be able to follow him. Whereas before, we were slaves of sin. We're now slaves of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul regularly calls himself a, a slave of Christ. Our freedom is now not a freedom to do anything under the sun that we want to do. But our freedom is to be able to follow Christ. While he has perfectly kept the law and he's fulfilled the law as a follower of Christ he's now enabling us to have a desire to keep the law 
and fulfill the law because the moral law is God's character. It's who he is. Mm -hmm. And us as a believer, we desire to be in right relationship with God. So part of that is it's going to affect the way that we act. We can't earn it. Only Christ could. The law is condemnation to us, but it shows us our our need for Christ because right. he did keep the law and he has um, given us his spirit and his spirit is perfecting us and shaping us and molding us into the image of him. Mm-hmm. We We should, as believers, strive to keep the law even though we know we're going to fail in that. Ultimately, we're not saved by the law, though. We're saved by Christ and his work. Right. When we stand before the Lord, we don't say, God, look at how well I kept the law or how much I tried, which is what the Pharisees were doing. And that's why they added to the law. And you have that legalism, that swing to legalism. That's what the Pharisees did is they said, okay, here's the law. Because we don't want to overstep the law, we're going to put our own buffer farther back so that if we cross the line, we're crossing our line, but we're going to enforce our line just like it's God's line. Uh, a lot of what Jesus was confronting the Pharisees about was not, none of it was God's law. It was all their man-made law. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that's a, a, a valid question and a, a great question to think about as we get into these is, why did God give us these Ten Commandments? Um, and so that's why. So with that said, let's, let's just go through them one by one. Talk about the commandment and then look at practical application for us today. Yeah. Sounds um, good. If you want to read out of Exodus, okay. I'm going to be in Deuteronomy. Okay. All right. First commandment, Exodus chapter 20. We'll start with verse two. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Yeah. So commandment one, yes. no other gods before me. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are not to put anything ahead of Christ. We're not to worship anything else. We're what? not to. So when he says before me, does that mean like as long as God is first, then it doesn't matter what we do after? No. 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 So before God would be like in his presence, right? Yeah. Where is God's presence? Everywhere. Everywhere. So I've heard people say before, I'm not violating the first commandment as long as I put God first. I mm-hmm. can worship these other things with my time and energy and all that stuff. Yeah. But as long as God is first, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you shall have no other gods in my presence and his Mm -hmm. presence is all encompassing. Therefore there can be no other gods anywhere. Yeah. Right. Never thought about it that way really. So what would some other gods be? And we don't have to get specific, but just what are some, like how, how are some ways that hearts are idle factories as Calvin said? You have your obvious things, someone who's like fixated on something. Right. You can tell where it's like, okay, this person, that's probably an idol in that person's life, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But then there are some not so obvious things, like what I have to be cautious of now is ministry, mm-hmm. where I feel like throwing myself into ministry is I'm serving the Lord, but then I have to check myself, am I really serving the Lord or am I just doing this? Right for either my own sake or just because it's something that really just takes up my time and I let it take up my time, yeah. you know? So that's kind of like, for me personally, that's what I have to guard towards. Is it, I, We all have to guard towards all of them, but like one of the ones that I really have to struggle with right now and wrestle with is are things like ministry. Did you or, say wrestle with or wrestle? <laughs> re, re, <laughs> wrestle. Shout out to wrestle. This has been... 
This has been quite a day with my words. But yeah, I've got to wrestle with like the really subtle ones as well. Yeah. Talking about the obvious ones. An interesting thing that I did was when I was getting my missions degree, we went one of the trips that I went on and I went on it two or three years. We went to Thailand and when we were in Thailand, we were in Chiang Mai, which is northern Thailand up in the mountains. One of the things that you could do is they had these wats all over and a wat is a buddhist temple Mm -hmm. and so we went in the wat and they have these huge statues of buddha and then they also have statues of these different monks that have reached enlightenment and things like that but you would watch people just go and bow down before the idols Mm -hmm. you know and it was interesting to see because in the states i had never seen people go and bow down to an idol before and and worship but when i was there one thing that i did was i spent an afternoon in the watt and i was kind of off to the side leaned against a pillar i was reading my bible and i was just praying for the people that were in there and so for about four hours i was just sitting there praying for the people that were in there and one of the things that the lord showed me was kind of what you're saying is those people were blatantly bowing down before a false god but in the states we are more subtle with our idolatry. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not so much worshiping a false god, but we've created our own god in the states. And a lot of times, we've either taken scripture and and we've taken what fits with our lifestyle, and so we hold to that, but we reject anything that would cause us to change the way that we're living. You know, so we've created an idol there. Right. But I think more often than not. The idols that we deal with in the States are self-idolatry. We worship ourselves. Mm-hmm. And somebody told me a long time ago, the the middle of sin is I, you know, S-I-N. Mm-hmm. But that's the root of sin is, is self-worship. So if you look at whether it's Lucifer who saw he was leading all the angels in the worship of God and then desired that for himself, or it was Adam and Eve who wanted to have the same knowledge of, as God, or whether it's us and we're just wanting to do what we want to do because that's what we want to do. You know, those are all idols. My personal testimony, I had made myself an idol. So for me, I knew I didn't want to go to hell because I knew hell was bad. And I knew I wanted to go to heaven, but it was, it was self-idolatry. What mm-hmm. I was saying was, God, I'm too good to go to hell. You know, mm-hmm. I have to go to heaven. Yeah. And and I was worshiping myself, and I was putting myself before Christ. I didn't so much, and I wouldn't have ever said this out loud. Um, I don't know that I had even really rationalized it, but I didn't care if Christ was in heaven or not. I just knew I wanted to be in heaven for myself mm-hmm. because that's where all the good stuff is, you yeah. know? And, and hell is a place of eternal torment. What scared me about hell was not eternal separation from God. What scared me about hell was the torment that I would receive, you know? Right. And so I had made myself an idol. I was worshiping myself. And, and I think that's probably the biggest idolatry that we face in the States right now is, is that, that mm-hmm. self-idolatry. Yeah. So no other gods before me is no gods, period, little g, and before me being in God's presence, which is all-encompassing. So for us, every aspect of our life should be putting Christ first. The things that we're spending money on, 
the things that we're spending time on, the things that we're spending, any resource that God's given us, whether it's our talents, our time, our tithe, all those T words, they should all be going to glorify Christ first. So I can have passions, right? right. There can be things that I like. You love baseball and you can have that passion, but when that becomes an idol in your life, then it's got to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and same for me. The things that I enjoy... I can do them as long as they're glorifying to God. But when they start taking away from God's glory and start adding to my own glory, that's where it's got to be destroyed. Right. And that's what you're talking about with ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's singing or preaching or teaching or anything that we're doing, our jobs, anything that we're doing, it should first be glorifying God. Mm-hmm. All of us, God has called us to work, but he's called us to an occupation. And, and that's a good thing. Work is not a byproduct of the fall. Work was established in God's goodness in the garden. Mm-hmm. When that work becomes an idol is when God stops getting the glory through our, our job and we start getting the glory or seeking more glory from our job right? and not getting it from the Lord. So, yeah, I, I think that's a good way to look at the first commandment is, is what I'm doing and passionate about bringing God glory or is it bringing me glory? Mm-hmm. So that would kind of be the litmus test for it yeah okay verse four you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them or serve them for i the lord your god am a jealous god visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Yeah, this is a big one. This is a very, not very well-known one either, I don't think. Well, like, not well-known, but, like, the reason I say that is because this has been something that I did not really understand or grasp as far as no images and kind of the way that that... I think a lot of people, when they read this, they think, okay, as long as I don't carve an idol and worship it, then I haven't violated this commandment. Right. And And I think it it goes a lot deeper than that. Yeah. Again, like what I was saying, you know, it, uh, once this is one where once I understood kind of what it was talking about, I kind of looked around and thought, (laughs) man, (laughs) (laughs) wow. You know? Yeah. And this is one that I think maybe not the church, but believers that make up the church. Right. Uh, struggle with more than they think they do. Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to go, I'm, I'm in Deuteronomy. And I'm going to go back. Let's see. I'm going to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 12. And then I'm going to skip to verse 15. But Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 12 says, Then the Lord spoke. So here in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is expounding on the commandments and he's preaching to the Israelites. But in verse 12, he said, Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded for you to perform. Skip it down to verse 15. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on that day that the Lord spoke to you out of Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to the heavens, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of the heavens, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them 
things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the people under the whole earth. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land on, on the Lord your God is giving you. So what Moses is saying there is when God revealed himself and his moral law, it was through spoken word. Mm-hmm. It wasn't through an image. They didn't see God. We can't see God. And so if we're worshiping God through an image, we're violating the second commandment. Yeah. So that could be people that watch The Passion of the Christ or other movies that show Jesus or that show a, a picture of who God is. That could be a bunch of different things. Another thing that sticks out to me when we're talking about the second commandment is Exodus chapter 32. I'm going to start in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who was brought up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from them and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And here's the focus part of this. The people said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. But when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and rose up early the next morning. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow we shall feast to the Lord. And that's Yahweh. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offering and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So what's going on here is the people make this idol and then Aaron is trying to vindicate the worship back to God. He sees what the people are saying, and the people say, these are your gods, little g, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Aaron knows that that's not true. So Aaron then builds an altar before the idol and then says, we're now going to redeem the worship and worship God. Mm -hmm. But God was still furious with the people, but he was also just as furious with Aaron because he was being worshipped in a way that he did not desire to be worshipped. And that was through this image. So what we can take from that is Aaron saying, okay, we're going to worship God like a bull. He's strong. He's all these different things. He strong-handedly brought us out of Egypt. But God is so much more than a bull. He's so much more than, than that image. And so what I don't like about pictures of Jesus or what I don't like about plays that have Jesus in it, um, you know, you'll have during Easter... Uh, you'll have plays and they have Jesus hanging on the cross. Or you have live nativities and you see Jesus laying in the manger. The problem with that is it shows us an aspect of who Jesus is, but it doesn't show us all of who Jesus is. Yeah. Because we can't. We can't reveal that through earthly sight right now. But he has revealed all of who he is through his word. Mm -hmm. And so if we're worshiping God through picture— we're not worshiping who God fully is. Therefore, we're not worshiping God as he's revealed himself. Right. It's false worship, and it's a violation of the second commandment. Right. So part of that is you can be worshiping Jesus, but you're just worshiping his humanity. You can't depict his deity in the picture of Jesus mm-hmm. or in a live nativity. Right. And then even more so, you've got a, a, a fallen person who's playing Jesus. And one, if you know that person— you know, then you're kind of, when you think about (laughs) Jesus, you're thinking about this person that you know, Mm -hmm. or even this picture that you've seen, you know? Mm -hmm. And so 
it could be surfer Jesus, the blonde haired, you know, Jesus that everybody sees, or it could be uh, a more culturally appropriate Jesus to what he actually looked like. Mm -hmm. But even still, that's not capturing who he is. That's just capturing a person. Right. Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. And you can't depict that in a picture. Yeah. And, and this is something again, that was been a very recent thing for me that the Lord has really kind of worked on in me. I played Jesus in a play one time. <laughs> so, I mean, I was like, man, <laughs> right. like, this, is, this is something that I have not kept. So it goes back to what kind of we were talking about with the golden calf is, you know, Aaron saying, no, we can worship the Lord through this golden calf. Right. And it's like, well, no, the Lord revealed in that, in, in his word, what he thinks about that even, mm-hmm. You know, and like that was my justification for all these other things. Well, I'm not worshiping this, that, or the other. I'm worshiping the Lord through this, that, and the other. Yeah. You know, and it's like... Can I throw a monkey wrench and we go down a crazy rabbit hole? Okay. Could a cross be a violation of the second commandment? (laughs) That's an interesting conversation. You've got two sides of it that I think are at war with with each other. Okay. I don't know what... I side with yet. What sides are at war? So in my head, you've got the side that says, well, the cross, people worship the Lord through images of the cross often. Okay. Well, that's the same thing as the golden calf. Right. And you got the other side that says, well, the cross is not depicting Jesus per se or God himself per se. Everyone knows that the cross is not God. Right. And the cross is the cross is merely the instrument God used okay. for Christ to die on for okay. our sins. So th- then you you would say okay, well, if that's the case, then we're not worshiping. We are not trying to capture all of God in the cross. Right. We're simply pointing to his sacrifice. Okay. But then it goes back <laughs> and I do think that oftentimes we can we find ourselves worshiping the Lord through the cross and the cross only. Okay. Which, I, and and that's what I'm saying. I, so it <laughs> I could know. be. It could be, yeah. But it, not always. Right. That's, what, I guess, what I would side with. Follow up. What about an altar at church? Now that I don't really know the ins and outs of. But could having to go down to the altar to repent of sin or for salvation or anything, mm-hmm. could that be a second commandment violation? Yes, absolutely. In what way? Because what you're saying then is that I cannot repent of my sins unless I go down to this altar. I can't be saved unless I go down to this altar. Mm-hmm. Well, really, it's almost a extra gospel type thing. It's almost adding something to the gospel in a way sometimes. Yeah. So I think a cross would be a second commandment violation if I have to have that to worship, right? Yeah. So if I have a cross in my church and I've got to go down before the cross and pray, mm-hmm. like I'm going to cast my sins at the foot of the cross, right? but I have to have this physical cross to go down to. Or like you see people going and nailing things onto a cross. I've seen that before. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to nail these things onto the cross. I, I think that becomes can become dangerous territory because you're making that cross a visible representation of God. Yeah. Right. But I think an altar can also be this violation because I'm worshiping God through this thing. Mm-hmm. I need to go down to this altar and I need to pray here. I can't do it elsewhere. I've got to do it here. You know, yeah. I think you can just as easily make that yeah. a second commandment violation. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. You, <laughs> when you start to think about these things and you look around, it's like, whoa, <laughs> there's, a lot. there's a lot going on here. There is. 
So I think to to recap this one, this was kind of a big one. The second commandment. Uh, here, I'm going to read from my ESV study Bible. It says, The prohibition of images and likeness derives from the argument in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that at Horeb, God's revelation was audible and not visible. Just like we said, God reveals himself through his spoken and written word. He doesn't reveal himself through images. And so if we're worshiping God through any image, and Deuteronomy 4 says, whether it's male, female, whether, you know, like if you go to the Sistine Chapel and you see this beautiful artwork of of the heavens and that brings you closer to the Lord, mm-hmm. that's a second commandment violation. Yeah, There's a lot of churches that have beautiful stained glass, but if it's depicting God, it's a second commandment violation mm-hmm. in, in all three persons of the Trinity. You've got the dove coming down. Mm-hmm. Well, the Holy Spirit is more than a dove or a tongue of fire or, you know what I mean? Any visible representation of God is a violation because God's revealed the fullness of who he is through his word. As we're reading God's word, we don't need to be picturing something less than what he is, whether that's a, a show that we're watching on TV, whether that's a movie that we watch, whether it's a play that we saw, whether it's a nativity scene that we have in our house, all of those things if your mind's going to those when you're reading God's word, you're violating this commandment. Yeah. If your mind is allowing the word to paint a picture in your head, then you're upholding this commandment. Mm-hmm. All right, number three, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. All right. thoughts on this one? My thoughts on this one. You shall, let me just read it. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Yeah. Um. I think that this is something that I thought that I was doing okay with, but then I realized maybe I wasn't. Growing up, when you heard this, a lot of youth pastors and a lot of youth groups and stuff like that, they would point to, okay, this means you can't say OMG, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And like, that'd be it. And then you move on, you know? Right. <laughs> Growing up, I was like, okay, well, as long as I don't do that, then it looks like I'm, I'm doing okay, you know? Right. But I think that there's a lot more to it. Um, and there's also a lot of reasons why, like, yes, I think they were right in that saying, you can't say OMG, you know what I mean? Right. Because the Lord's name is holy. The Lord's name is sacred. Right. You know, you can't just flippantly throw around his name and use it as a lot of people use it as a curse, right? Yeah, no, I agree. And so I think it I think it goes even deeper than that, too. Yeah. So do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Yes, we don't want to say, you know, his name in something that we're not talking about him. Mm-hmm. If, we're, if we're speaking of God directly, then we use his name. And if not, then, then we shouldn't. Going even deeper into this, I think if you're singing a, a song that's talking about the wonder of God and the holiness of God and the awe of God and all of that stuff, and you're not, you're just kind of flippantly singing it. So mm-hmm. like if you go to church and you're singing through a hymn that you've sung your whole life and you're not actually singing those words to the Lord, you're just muttering through them. I think that's also a violation of this commandment yeah. where I'm taking the name of the Lord in vain. Mm-hmm. I'm singing these truths, but either I don't mean them or I'm not living them out. I'm just saying it. Then I say that was also a third commandment violation. Yeah. No, yeah, that's true. So when we are talking about the Lord, we need to be making sure that we're talking about him. But then also when we're singing about him or when we're reading about him, it's not just something that we flippantly do, but it's something that we're, we've got our hearts in. We're, mm. we're worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And, and he tells us why, because he says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God will judge us if we're treating him less than holy. 
Right. Because he is holy. He is mm-hmm. set apart. He is like no other. And we should treat him as such. Mm-hmm. We don't want to make the name of God everyday common use language. Right. It needs to be set apart because he is set apart. And then when we're singing about him or reading about him or the preachers preaching to us about him, then he needs all of that attention as well in that. And our mind's not just off wondering. So I think on Sundays, I think there are a lot of people that violate this commandment because they're in church and they're daydreaming about something else or they're just their mind's not engaged in worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth. Mm-hmm. All right, last of the first table, observe the Sabbath and yeah. keep it holy. That one's a big one too. I'll read that. All right. So Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gate. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now this one is something that for me is similar to the last one and the one before that. (laughs) That kind of knew that they were there and I, well, like three and four. So like, don't take the Lord's name in vain and observe the Sabbath. There were ones, I was pretty conscious of them, you know, Uh but I think that in a similar way to don't take the Lord's name in vain, I personally didn't realize kind of the extent to which this applied. So observe the Sabbath. We call Sunday the Lord's day, right? Right. This is a day that has been set aside to worship the Lord and to not have our minds fixed on anything else, you know? And one of the things that happens when we work is, well, our minds get fixed on our work. And I think that a lot of times what will happen is we'll see, okay, the Lord, it says here in six days, uh, we'll labor and we'll work in the same way that the Lord made the heavens and the earth and everything in it in six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested and we'll say, okay, so that means in order for me to keep the Sabbath, I just need to not work. I need to rest. I need to like watch football or I need to, you know, just kind of decompress myself. Mm -hmm. But what it's really talking about is resting in the Lord. You know, not resting in football, not resting in anything else. And and so that really has been something that I've had to work on because that was kind of how I saw this up until really recently was talking about, yes, it's the Lord's day and we know that it's the Lord's day. And I would say, okay, so because this is the Lord's day, then, and, and we've talked about it in previous episodes with worship, right? It's the Lord's day. So we need to make sure that when we're worshiping the Lord, we're worshiping him in spirit and in truth and in the way that he's called us to do that. Yeah. But then I limited that to, to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. And then in the middle, we can just kind of like. So when you say you limited that to church, you're talking about the building that the church meets in, the gathering of the saints. Yes. I limited that to the gathering of the saints. I gotcha. And, and I think what part is, of that. What is the church? Well, the church is the, the body of Christ. Okay. Yeah. So I would kind of take a break in between Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And then like in between that, I'd watch football and just detach. (laughs) Right. Because Sundays are, I mean, Sundays are busy just by nature for us. Mm -hmm. When I would just kind of detach myself from everything, what I was doing was not, I wasn't resting in the Lord. I was just resting. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go back to the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, Uh, chapter 22 of religious worship and the Sabbath day. Paragraph seven says, and it is of the law of nature that in general, a portion of time by God's appointment be set apart for the worship of God. So by his word, in a positive, moral, and perpetual commandment, binding all men in all ages, he hath particularly appointed one day in seven for the Sabbath to be kept holy unto him, which from the beginning of the world 
to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which is called the Lord's Day, and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath, the uh, observation of the last day of the week being abolished. And then paragraph 8 says, The Sabbath is kept holy unto the Lord, when men, after due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs aforehand, do not only observe a holy rest day from their own work, words, and thoughts about their worldly employment and recreations, but are also taken up the whole time in public and private exercise of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. And so when we're talking about remembering the Sabbath and keep it holy, according to the Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689, they're saying on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, it's it's a day that's set apart. In Genesis chapter 1, you see God, and he's working to make everything in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. And that wasn't because he was tired, but mm. that was because he was setting that for us to follow. So we work six days. And on the seventh day, that's not our day, that's his day. Mm -hmm. And so just like we tithe, just like we do different things, we're giving God what he's required is one day a week. So we can work six days providing for our families, doing all that stuff. But one day a week, the Lord's day is his day. And on that day, the whole day is his. And so the things that we do with our family, the things that we do during the afternoon, the things that we do you know, leading up to that, it should look different. It should look different than any other day because that's his day. Mm -hmm. and, and so, yeah, I think a lot of what you're saying uh, uh, applies here in between the gathering of the saints. And then if you go back to church and you gather that evening, the middle should look different than the rest of your week as well. Right. The preparation leading up to the Lord's day should look different. And so this is one that I'm kind of working on and still kind of working through. So I know there are people, whether they're in the military, whether they're police officers or firefighters or nurses or doctors or anybody that's got some kind of swing shift where there's this set schedule of maybe it's two days on, three days off, one day on, two days off, whatever mm -hmm. it is, there's going to be people that have to work on the Lord's Day. Here's one of the asterisks that I would have with the Baptist Confession of Faith is that if we can set aside the Lord's Day as the Sabbath, then we should. But if not, we need to set aside one day a week to give unto the Lord yeah, um, is, is kind of where I'm at right now. One thing that, that we're working through in our family is having a, a Sabbath meal the night before where we gather together and we get ready for the Lord's Day the next day. So Saturday night, kicking off with the Sabbath dinner, and we're together as a family. I would hope to see this kind of grow as our family grows, but you know, as many as are, are there, you know, invite friends over, invite family over and have this Sabbath meal together, preparing for the Lord's Day, getting our hearts and minds ready the night before. And then Sunday, you have the Sabbath, and we're gathering together with the saints. We're worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth. In the afternoon, we're kind of building on that. And so I've got ideas for what I want that to look like in the future, mm. where you got members of the church that are gathering together and fellowshipping with one another throughout the afternoon. And then for those of you that have churches that meet it on Sunday night, then you're going back together to worship the Lord. Yeah. You know? The way that we do it, it's it's from Saturday night at dinner until Sunday night at dinner. And, and then uh, Sunday night at dinner kind of completes the Sabbath. But it's just, it's setting aside that day 
to look different than all other days and and to spend that time worshiping the Lord, focusing on the Lord, discussing what the Lord's doing in your life with like-minded believers, fellowshipping with people in the body of Christ together, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And, and these, like we were saying, these have, so we just went through the first table of the law. Yeah. Uh, we obviously, we just talked about that in the last episode. And really, you can already start to see the ways that God's law applies and impacts us in today's world, even, you know, post-resurrection of Christ. It's like right. you were saying, the mirror you hold in front of you to see kind of where you're at. And and ultimately, I, I really like what, what it says in there in the Baptist Confession of Faith, to know how to be faithful to the Lord. Isn't that kind of similar to what it's something that says in there? I don't know. You read something and it kind of struck me like that, where I was like, man, you know, without God's law, we don't even know what faithfulness looks like, right. you know? And so if we as Christians strive to be faithful to the Lord and God's law is the standard of faithfulness to the Lord, yeah, we have got to take it seriously. If we don't take it seriously, then we're not really out to be faithful to the Lord. We're out to be faithful to something else. Yeah, you know. Well, so. and I think what it what this has done the just the first four it showed us how culture and the gospel or culture and God's law can butt heads. Yeah. You know. So what we don't want to do as followers of Christ is say, okay, I'm going to hold God's law and I'm going to keep God's law as long as it filters through the culture. Mm -hmm. The culture is the filter for what I do with God's law. Um, When we're looking at each of these individually, the Sabbath, taking the Lord's name in vain, the images, no images, and no other God before me. If we're allowing culture to be the filter, then we're not keeping God's law. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of people on any one of these issues, they'll say, Okay, yeah, I understand that, but but that's not how we do things today. Mm-hmm. You know, that that might have worked back then, but nowadays you have this and that. And so we're allowing culture to be the filter for God's law. Right. Whereas God's word, God's law should be the filter for culture. Mm-hmm. That's how it should be. We as believers, we have to wrestle with these and look at where culture is the filter in our life. And then we have to tear that down and allow God's law to be the filter for culture. Yeah. So if we're doing that, then then we're going to be striving our best to worship him and not just putting other things before him. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good stopping point for today. I guess we're going to have a part three <laughs> of the tale of two tables. When we can look at the second table, we're going to look at the five through 10 of the commandments and kind of go through them like we did today and talk about how they apply to us today as well. Yeah. So if you're still here, we appreciate you. If you have any questions or you'd like to continue this conversation, you can follow us at Locust and Honey on Facebook uh, or email us at info at locustandhoney.net. And we, we love to hear from you guys. If not, have a good Lord's Day, and we will see you next week. Yeah, we will. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> that is.